0: Throughout my adult life, my focus has been on making the world a more beautiful place. Initially, I pursued this goal as a hairstylist, working on the external appearance of individuals to make them feel more beautiful. However, I wanted more, so I began to shift my focus to helping people make better choices and achieve greater beauty from within. As a transformational life coach, I specialize in helping you identify and change the limiting beliefs that may be holding you back. Join me each week as we discuss, interview, teach, and explore the fundamental principles of healthy relationships. Welcome to Conscious Conversations with Louisa. In today's episode of Conscious Conversations with Louisa, I'm speaking with... Hello, everyone. I am Louisa Yovanovitch, your host with... Conscious Conversations with Louisa. And today we have Collier Landry. And guess who made my recording of my intro and my outro and all of the podcasts that you guys see and all of the magic that comes through Conscious Conversations with Louisa actually comes through this incredible gentleman who created the podcast for me. So I did have to highlight you on that. Thank you. So you are... Not just an incredible human being in the world, you have experienced some serious trauma in your life. And I asked you to be on because I'm so inspired watching who you are and who you get to be in the world for everyone that you have touched. I wanted to inspire the world of what's possible. So, welcome and let's have an opportunity to get to know you. And we would love to hear the details of the spectacular bio that you have too
1: yeah yeah you know it's interesting i was thinking on my drive home to be on the show and thank you for having me wherever you are and however you may be listening thank you for making me a part of your day uh i really appreciate it you know i was thinking on my drive home uh before coming on your program of you know we met through a mutual person if you've had on this on this show i kind of met you at this i mean i'm still sort of in my process but at the very beginning of me moving into the next stage of where I am at now, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, when you think about, you know, we all go through phases in life and life is often very circadian and things of that nature. And we'll get into my whole story in a second, but I was, I I met you at a very key part. It was right. You know, pretty much we were smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, essentially, right. We were mid 2021. That's how we came to know each other. And so, it's it's interesting to see that sort of evolution of just like over the last like couple of years and sort of
2: absolutely
1: fumbling fumbling our way through these types of things. You know, when we had met at that Barnes and Noble in San Diego, California, you had asked me about who I was and and what my story was. I'm sort of known to the world as a filmmaker. It, you know that that is my sort of career uh, that I moved to Hollywood to pursue. Uh, I moved to Los Angeles in twenty in two thousand and two. And um, so I've been out here for 21 years, and I'm from a very small town in Ohio, and I am probably best known for making a film with two-time Oscar winner Barbara Koppel called A Murder in Mansfield. Now, um, that all sounds like, oh, okay, you made a film. But really, that film, which was released during the pandemic, and which I traveled the world with before its, its initial like worldwide release, is about my life, and essentially about a murder, and specifically the murder of my mother by my father which I witnessed at the age of 11 and it was at that time, the largest case in Ohio history. And it was, um, it was something that rocked my very small town of Mansfield. I, um, I heard my mother, my father murdered my mother on New Year's Eve, 1989. And no one believed me except for one detective. And over the course of the next 25 days, my, myself and this detective solved my mother's murder. Essentially, what I started doing is I started gathering clues and had constant contact with this detective because he had come to my house. Initially, I I had rang my mother's friends and said, you know, please call the police. And when the initial police officers arrived, they, I was not able to really tell them because my grandmother, who was staying with us at the time, who was my father's mother, and very good friends with my mother, but she was kind of hovering. So I wasn't able to really talk to the police properly, but they didn't believe me. And when I rang up my mother's friends the next day, when my father was gone, they said, you know, we're, they're treating it as a missing persons case. And I said, look, she's not a missing person, <laughs> a missing person, something has happened to her. But luckily by the grace of God, this detective by the name of Lieutenant David Messmore, um, he, Came to my house because this is, you know, January 1st, 1990 and didn't have a lot to do. And this is, again, this is a very small town in Ohio. My father was a doctor and he said, oh, this is interesting. A doctor's wife goes missing on New Year's Eve. And he came to investigate, uh, just ask a few questions. And there there was a moment where my grandmother, who was absolutely apoplectic when he showed up went to go and call my father and something that I remember when I was a kid is my mother always told me about the carousel horses. She grew up in my, my entire family's from Philadelphia and she grew up in Philadelphia. And she said, you know, uh, when you're on the carousel horse, the idea is you to win, you, you grab the brass ring and you win the prize. And she kept telling me, call your, as a, you know, as a young man, she always told me, call your, you want to grab the brass ring in life. You want to seize that opportunity. And I recognized when my grandmother left me alone with this detective for 30 seconds that this was the brass ring moment. I said to him, I looked him in the eye and I said, look, my mother, something's happened to my mother. She would never leave me. Give me your business card. And when I go to school tomorrow, I'm gonna call you and talk to you. And I think he just thought I was kind of nuts, but he he obliged me and my grandmother came back and kicked him out of the house. So over, uh, so the next day I, I went to school and i told him the story of um of what had happened which was essentially i was woken up in the middle of the night well before that my parents were going through a divorce my father was a chronic womanizer he had had a girlfriend that he had introduced me to and this sort of kicked off the whole divorce topic now my mother knew about all these multiple affairs my father had lived double lives and malls like a myriad of women had gone through his life while he was married to my mother, but I this is something that I did not know as a, as a child, I was 11 years old at the time. And I, um, I started telling him, you know, how I heard these, these, a uh, scream and two loud thuds in the middle of the night. And then I, I heard my father muttering. And then I had, I had counted his footsteps as they came down the hallway and I could see, I left my, I was, I always, as a child slept with my door open and the feet had stopped in my doorway and something told me, don't look up. And I firmly believe that had I looked up at that time, I would not be sitting here today. And then that next morning when I questioned my father, I'd run, I'd run to my mother's bedroom when I woke up and uh, I was looking for signs of blood. The, the, the bed was in a state of disarray. And I, um, I went downstairs and I confronted my father who was sitting on the couch with a towel wrapped around his waist because he had just taken a shower. I said, where is my mother? And my father ignored me. I said, where is my mother? And he said, well, mommy took a little vacation, Collier. And it's right then I knew that he had done something to her. So as I'm sitting there telling the detective all this, I think he's kind of going, who is this kid? And how, you know, because I was a very observant and curious child. And um, I just started downloading, you know, to, to use the parlance of our times, you know, downloading or telling him everything that i knew about the history of my parents which was my father had a massive proclivity for violence he was very violent to my mother and i growing up um he had these girlfriends, he had this girlfriend that i knew that i'd been introduced to they were embroiled in a in a really you know very one-sided and abusive divorce towards my mother and you know he was starting this new life and i told the detective at the time i said i said i'm going to go home tonight and while my grandmother's making dinner I'm gonna run upstairs. And I'm gonna pull the bookcases out of the, out of the crawl space upstairs and look for my mother's body. And then I'm gonna start like looking for. If I don't find anything, I'll look for her purse. You know, because she would never leave the house without this one purse. Because my father's story to me was that my mother came down, started yelling at him. Um, they got into an argument. She threw her purse at him. She threw her credit cards at him she didn't grab a coat she left the house in the dead of an ohio winter and got into a car that was waiting at the end of the driveway like that was his story um that was the story that he carried into the courtroom and that was uh that was the, you know that was the lie that he was telling at the time so um which you know was just utterly fanciful um if, if for the simple fact that what woman throws credit cards in a purse at a, at a man then leaves but um so he was very you know uh, dave was really taken aback by what i was telling him but it was also like concerned like okay this kid is (laughs) this kid is not going to be this little detective and so i started um i started gathering evidence against my father which included you know my father would come home and he would have like these nicks on his hands or cuts on his arm one time he asked me to rub his shoulders with ben gay because he told me he was moving some boxes and he was very sore um, he started his behavior started to become very erratic and where he was someone who i as as i said had this massive proclivity for violence and violent movies and violent you know uh, you know abusive behavior he had turned very docile and almost um sheepish at times and in a way where he um he was uh yeah i was playing a video game and it was a fighting video game and he was almost abhorred at the fact that it was a violent video game and i was like who is this person I noticed these behavioral changes starting to happen in my father. And every night my father was meeting with his divorce attorney at our house. And so I was just very laser focused on what was going on. And I was reporting back to the police every day I go to school, which is, you know, when I look back, was a very, um, I was very fortunate in that way, because I, I think a lot of kids who are in. A violent and abusive situations or let alone something that's this extreme they uh, they don't have those opportunities you know and they don't have the ability to talk to law enforcement or the ability to um, talk to a trusted source at school you know um, so I was very fortunate But it wasn't until mid-January, and and this was going on, I was doing daily reports, calling him, having him come to the school and telling him what I was finding for my father, because my father was setting up a new medical practice in another state. And one of the things is my father, during the middle of January that year, had asked me if I wanted to go to his office with him to pick up some paperwork. And I said, well, yeah, of course. I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm I'm not letting you you out of my sight, whatever you're around me. And we go to the office and on the way back, home, we stop at a gas station and he goes into the gas station. And again, brass ring moment, I, I start rummaging through his truck as I'm watching him through the windshield in the gas station, I find two photographs. One is of a house that I've never seen before. And the second one is of his girlfriend and her two children who I had known sitting from a fireplace that was wrapped in plastic. And I said to myself, this, this is a new house and I've never seen it before. And she's connected somehow um and ultimately that is the house that they discovered my mother's body buried underneath um the basement floor my father had exhumed <clears throat> had had um raised the, the the concrete floor he had rented a jackhammer and dug a grave and then covered it with astroturf indoor outdoor carpeting and um, repainted everything and made it like a new room. um and ultimately that was what was discovered 25 days after my mother went missing um I was uh, because of my level of involvement and because of witnessing potentially the murder you know I had been pulled out of my house um, the day before they they discovered my mother's body so they could execute a search warrant because my father had tried to take me to Florida um, on a father-son trip <laughs> And um, I was so terrified. I I had told uh, Lieutenant Massmore at the time, I said, I'm not coming back from Florida. I know that. (laughs) Um, So uh, they got me out of the house pretty quickly and executed a search warrant. But um, I ended up testifying at the grand jury and securing my father's indictment. He was indicted for uh, first-degree premeditated murder. And um, I guess at that time, I... I guess I sort of thought that I would have a family that would rally around me being a child and a child who has just been through such a horrific circumstance. And um, that unfortunately was not the case. My mother's side of the family, my godmother and her husband told me that they didn't want anything to do with me because I looked like my father. And my father's side of the family told me they didn't want anything to do with me until I recanted my testimony and said that I made the whole thing up. And, um, yeah, so I ended up going into the foster care system where I was raised for about a year. And, um, during the course of that, I lived, uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, foster care is not a fun situation, no matter who you are. Uh, but, um, for me, it it was not particularly a very fun experience, but uh, I did testify at my father's trial I testified for two days uh, for the prosecution uh, which led to his conviction and he is still incarcerated to this day uh, I was eventually um, I was eventually awarded custody to a family that was in town so I grew up in my very small town of Mansfield um, sort of and and the trial was televised as well. so every night they'd be playing the replays on the on the news so I as a child was, testifying in open court, staring down my father and, um, and it was broadcast. <laughs> so everyone knew who I was. And, and like I said, this was at that time, the largest murder trial, the largest criminal trial in our County's history and probably one of the largest in state history, um, you know, sort of like our OJ Simpson trial, if you will. Um, so it was really well known and I grew up um in this in this small town with you know everyone knowing me for all the wrong reasons right and i became very determined at a young age of two things one was i was not going to let this define me and uh, the second was i was not going to let this destroy me i was going to do something positive with this and i don't know really where this came from other than i would probably credit my mother to that because um you know the the, the things were pretty bleak growing up in a lot of ways but i did and, and as i said i moved to um i uh, i ended up going off to music school and i was there for about two and a half years and i dropped out and I moved to la and with one goal in mind i was like i don't know how I'm going to, or how this is going to happen, but I'm going to figure out a way to tell this story and impact change in the world. But also I'm going to find the answer of why my father murdered my mother, because it made no sense to me. He was winning the divorce. He had, he had, he was making plenty of money at the time. And it was just all very weird to me. And I think, you know when you grow up in the shadow of someone who does um who does something that is so horrific and when you're also connected to both the victim and the perpetrator you know it's it's a little bit of you know excuse my language a little bit of a mind fuck and you have to sort of sort through all of that in your own process because nobody can really tell you how that works right you got to just sort it out yourself and that's what I learned how to do but my way of processing that was through art and doing something positive with the story and um I maintained a relationship with my father for decades uh I would write I would go visit him a lot I would even go into the prison where he was um where he was incarcerated and teach inmates how to use filmmaking software and editing software and photoshop and all these fun things and help with camera packages and all that I became very ingrained in the in the prison system all with One goal, which was to tell a story, which I did ultimately.
0: Wow, (laughs) wow! You know it's so crazy because you started this with we were at Barnes and Noble sitting next to each other, and we were we're co writers of this book, and it's uh, and you don't know who you're sitting next to, right? There's this super handsome guy sitting next to me, and I have no idea his story, and. We have had an incredible journey of getting to know each other and watching each other really succeed and really put our heart and soul into things and watching sure. what you have created. And up until right now, I actually had never heard your story like this. And I I experienced your heart. I experienced who you are. I experienced your passion to how many people and human beings you touch and the way you touch them. I had never heard Cause you know, when you're friends with someone, you don't go, Oh, can you please like tell me yeah. all the details of your family yeah, and, let's exactly. go back and like discuss how all of the pain, right? Like, so, I mean, as a child you were so insightful, so profound, so like articulate, so courageous. And, and I always think that whoever you are as a child is who you really are in your life and your essence anyways. So, it really is so beautiful to know you because you are exactly that today and just as a an adult an adult version of that very very powerful child yeah stoppable
1: yeah it's weird you know you say and thank you for the compliment by the way um I, it's it's odd because um when uh i was screening the film in in new york which is our our, we we premiered it at a big film festival called Doc NYC Fest and um I remember just watching myself in the trial footage of this kid on this you know giant big screen in the theater and I thought God like (laughs) I haven't changed a bit I just got a little older got some gray hair you know and and and, I mean sadly I probably haven't matured much since that age (laughs) because I was pretty mature but I I just remember thinking like wow like i just still have that sort of same foundation same sort of sense of right and wrong or or just um tenacity i suppose i was like a i was a tenacious little kid who just wanted to find out you know what injustice justice for his mother so but yeah it's interesting you you say about like not knowing some stories so i you know i i had a whole career you know i i got into the film business with the sole purpose of telling the story like that was it i was like i'm gonna learn everything i can about filmmaking i'm gonna (laughs) whatever it is and i'm gonna figure out a way to tell the story and i didn't even know what that looked like right i thought okay man you know I, i i i'll make a scripted series i'll do this i mean i'm still in the process of doing all this you know and I, um, I, but I remember seeing a film, there's a film that I saw in 1999, it came out and it's by far one of the, my top five best films, uh, American films, it's called American History X. And it's, uh, you know, L, um, uh, you know, Edward Norton plays a neo-Nazi, it's you know, Edward Norton, Eddie Furlong, uh, Beverly D'Angelo, Elliot Gould, etc. Like, you know, a ton of people are in this film, but I remember watching that film and it, it's a, the essence of the film is about the consequences of violence and I remember saying to myself and and my friend who I'd gone to see it with at this theater in Northridge I said um whoever made that film I want them to help me tell my story so I put that out in the universe and eight years later I'm sitting with my girlfriend in our little Hollywood bungalow and she says this guy contacted me on myspace and he wants to photograph me for a book she was a model and he wants to photograph me for a book and he's a movie producer and i was like oh what has he done and she starts rattling off a bunch of films and then she says american history x and i was like let's meet this guy and he's um his name was john morrissey and he became my co-executive producer of murder in mansfield and um we are still friends to this day but um uh close friends and um i remember you know uh, I I had met him and I and and I didn't tell him my story. I didn't tell anyone my story. Growing up, everyone knew very like surface details, like okay, Collier's from Ohio. His dad killed his mom, and he was adopted. Like that's it. Like that's all anybody knew. And he was talking about a project that he wanted to do, which was just not really worth his time. And I said, I said I got an idea. I want to make a show about the consequences of violence in America. And I said the best news is is I have the rights. I own the rights to the pilot and this is what we should make and i gave him this book that's sitting over my shoulder right now which is a was a book of newspaper clippings um from when my mother went missing to when the trial and then to the turn of the millennia when it was like the largest ca- you know, case of the century etc cetera, etc cetera. and um i gave him this and i said this is my story and he, <laughs> he called me the next day he goes are you fucking kidding me man like this is your life and as you know as i began to make the movie because it's very difficult to make to make a film in hollywood let alone one about your your life and you know it's 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 a real challenge it took years and years and years to do this project but um you know when the film came out you know and it hits like the streaming services in like 2020 2021 i got messages and phone calls from people that i had worked with for years you know, from anywhere from, you know, musical artists that I had worked with to, to directors, to producers. And they were like, I just saw you, (laughs) I just saw you on investigation discovery, or I just saw this, this movie because Barbara's won two Academy awards. So, you know, she gets a lot of attention when she makes a film and they're like, I had no idea this was your life. And we, Like, why did I not know this? We were on set. We did three seasons of television together. How did I not know this is your life? I was like, well, I, you know, I didn't, I I didn't talk about it because I just, I wasn't really interested in people. I think one of the things that when you go through something like this and you grow up in this, in this very small, is a small town and everyone knows you for this, you often wonder how like do people really like me for me or do they like me because of this story do they I only identify me with this story am i getting a fair shake of the stick and and look you know it is it is it's a, it's a double-edged sword because people look at you and they feel bad for you and they want to help you right but they often don't know how right because how do you how do you really do that you know um And then people also look at this and they tie you to that. And then they use that to cast judgment on you. So, you know, I would date girls in high school or college and and people would know the story and they'd be like, oh, watch out for him. He's just like, you know, he could be like his father, you know, and I mean, that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I also kind of understand, like, I don't know if I was a parent, if I would be excited about my daughter dating a guy whose dad murdered his mom. You know what I mean? not because even he could be capable of such things, but like what kind of baggage does this guy come with to, to bring to this relationship, right? So there's a lot of this. So I wanted, in going to Los Angeles, not only be, because I wanted to live out here, this is where the entertainment industry is, the weather is beautiful, etc. cetera. I wanted to be so far removed from anyone actually knowing who I was so I could establish who I was so i know that if you liked me for me you liked me for me if you didn't like me for me if you thought i was an asshole you thought i was an asshole, and you didn't have any of this back knowledge of who i am that didn't taint what your what your opinion of me was so i could get a really good gauge on how on how i can impact the world and how and what my place is in it right and i feel like you know i taught I, you know i tell this story a lot obviously and a lot of people interview me and i always try to tell it in a sort of a different way that fits to the audience but i think one of the the, the things that it, it, you know i'm realizing just as i'm saying it is because of that i was actually doing the work in the moment to try to define who i was and what kind of impact i can make on the world because of that and because of what i had been through you know, and I always say this anyways, I I say that it's a blessing what I've been through. I say that, you know, how I feel, which is, which is as horrific as it was, I wouldn't change a thing because I genuinely like the person that I've become and who I am. You know, I mean, of course, there are certain things I would change, change, but there's nothing to do. I mean, I would take away the suffering of my family. I would take away the suffering of others. But for me personally, if I just make it all about me, I like the person that I've become and my place in the world and what I have to offer the world and what I continue to develop to offer the world. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't take a fresh perspective to see how does Collier, when he walks in the room, how do, how do people respond to him without knowing who he is, you know, without this massive backstory.
0: You know, what's interesting though, is that little boy sitting on that, on the podium and, and the little boy who is such a, um, a powerhouse without the story of the back end, you were, you're already exactly that. So you just found the remarkable kid who already was there.
1: So yeah.
0: the, the filter and the stories that we came up with, or you came up with that defined you, were all part of the story, but it was never you because that little boy was like such a badass. Like, if you just take the facts, the facts alone are the collier now that you you've yeah. already fallen in love with, but that was, that's you in essence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's, um, you know, it, it, it was, it's a, it's a process, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not here to say that it's, Oh, it's super easy. And you know, you can, <laughs> you know, yeah, rah, rah. Um, it's, it, you know, it, it it's a lot of work. Sorry. I was going to turn this on the do not disturb. you as people keep,
0: But isn't that true for like, what I love about what you're doing is it allows all of us to have an opportunity to see who we really are in our essence as a child and as the like bright light in the world. And then we grow up and we're like, Oh, I did all this work. And now I love myself. But yet we've been that all along. I, you know, becoming a hairdresser and doing all this work. And I really thought I had cleaned up so I could Clean up yeah. enough to look good and and have people go, Oh, you're just so this. I run into people who knew me in elementary school, I mean, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and they're like, You're exactly how I remember you. I'm like, Really? I did all this work, and that's this. You go that's back, <laughs> this is how you remember me. And what I know that they're saying is the, the joy, the spirit, the bright light, the like, the, the want and loving. And so their experience, how I love people, like seeing you as the very, you really are that very, very passionate, curious child who's very committed to your results of like, I, you know, I got this. So yeah. I'm going to open it up to everyone else, having an opportunity to share a little bit about what you shared and ask questions or give feedback. So would you be open to that, Collier?
1: Of course. It's what we're here for, right? <laughs> we're growing and learning. This is I love it. Fabulous.
0: Hello, Brian, by the way. So who would like an opportunity? Jed, I see you unmuted, so that's fabulous. Yeah, so
3: um, that was a remarkable story. I'm sorry you had to go through that. It's also the process and how you manage that. It was like amazing, you know, miraculous. And, you know, you were a powerful kid and amazing that you, I was thinking about what was your impetus? Were you always in a mode of protecting your mom? so therefore you are on high alert at all times was that part of it and then did you get did you get your answer regarding your dad you know why did he do this
1: oh yeah those are those are two really good questions i mean we didn't really i guess finish the story i suppose um so it's interesting uh, about the protection thing i mean the short answer would be yes the larger answer is that i think you know And one of the things i say on my show and i say like when i interview is you know uh you know i'm not a psychologist i'm not a lawyer i'm just guy who's been through a lot of shit and i'm giving you my experience but at the same time when i do talk to psychologists and psychotherapists you know and when i interview them you know they're always like we go to school to study people like you so we can tell people how they can come through these circumstances but you know um my upbringing was because my father was a rageaholic and because he had this proclivity for violence with both myself and my mother, you know, you hear a lot about like fight, flight, or fawn or appease, um, you know, or, and then there's freeze, obviously, too. A lot of people freeze up when things like that happen. But the appeasement is something I think a lot of people who go through childhood trauma, for example, with a parent that has, you know, whether that parent is, uh, you know, just, a rageaholic or that person's an alcoholic with rage or, or abuse issues um you know you often see that Or there's a lot of domestic violence in the, in the home growing up it's always this: like don't set dad off don't set mom off don't do this don't look at them the wrong way you know we walk you, you walk on eggshells a lot so i think that i was prepared I, I was always walking on eggshells to a certain extent i think my mother was too uh growing up but i think but I know when all of this went down, when I had seen, when I knew that my father was a womanizer, when I saw how he was treating us, saying things like, you know, you're going to, you, you know, I'm going to make sure you guys live, are living on the street. You'll never go to college. I'll never, you know, I'm going to send you off to public school because i gone to private school at that time. And I didn't even care if I went to public, school. I just wanted to go to school. Right. But, you know, just all these very vile things, like I have a new family now, you'll never measure up to them, they're better than you, et cetera, et cetera, all the abusive things that that people, you know, say. Um, I think that I, I started going from that a- appeasing sort of stage to like this stage of, you know, you, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I'm going to have, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be that protector. I'm going to, and you know, I, I grew up, I was an asthmatic kid. Um, uh, you know, my father is six foot four, 230 pounds. I was a chubby little asthmatic kid, but even though I wasn't, um, obviously able to physically defend my mother in the middle of the night after the, after hearing the murder happen, I was able to defend her and her honor after and make sure that he went to where he, where he belongs, you know? Um, but uh to your so i don't know the answer to your question or not but but yes i i i went from sort of walking on eggshells to sort of over the course and it's been many many decades now and several several decades i should say um you know i have um you know gone from i've gone to taking back the power and where that sort of finally culminated was and again i said i said i had a relationship with my father uh, I would go and visit him in prison. I would phone calls, letters, emails, etc. And And, um, but I had never asked him. I, I had never, because I, I sort of relegated myself to the fact of like, look, if you're going to try to do something with this and you're going to get his cooperation and you're going to, um, and you're going to try to have any sort of relationship with him it's all going to have to be surface he's never going to tell you the truth he's never going to he's never going to admit anything um and you're going to have to you're going to have to put this relationship into a, a framework of how that you're you realize that he that even though you're trying to figure out if you're like him you're also realizing that like you're you're not him and you and you need to sort of Understand that the relationship—you're not going to get those deep, meaningful answers. You're not going to get that real love and and condition and, and support that you really hope that you want. Now that's easier said than done, because I still wanted that approval, right? It, it, I mean, at the end of the day, he's still my father, you know. Even though he's horrific human being, he's destroyed not only my mother's life, my life, my family's lives, but the lives of countless other people. You know, the one of the the big. Things that i talk about a lot is the consequences and the ramifications of violence and and how those the, those ripple effects echo through society right but um when i got if you see my film "A murder man Still's it's available on my website you can get it or if you have a discovery plus or, or investigation discovery it's on there um but uh if you when i go into that room and sit down with him because because the film ultimately culminates in this in this you know uh sit down with my father where it's right over my shoulder here you can see the photograph i sit across from him and i ask him you know why did you murder my mother um that was the first time that i I ever said that to him why did you murder my mother or ever since you murdered my mother I've had this question. And it was at that moment that I said that, that I had taken back the power from him. But it was 26 years in the making for me to sit down and say, why dad, why did you do this? And spoiler alert, he can't tell me. (laughs) He's a psychopath.
0: You know, it's so crazy to think that, like, I could understand how you would feel that way. And yet someone like me who hasn't had trauma like that still found myself walking on eggshells, still looking for approval, still looking for, like, needing to be validated. And so it's surreal to be like, how did how not having experienced pain like that, but yet I think even growing up in a household where things aren't as traumatic, I still found ways to experience that level of looking and needing and, and hoping for approval and, and showing up like that for most of my life until I had my own breakthrough in that area. So like, it's fascinating to see it on like that huge scale and being like, well, I get, I get being that afraid right and then still like experiencing it without that even part of my life yeah and and i believe that a lot of like what you share kind of gives everyone an experience of like feeling safe and normal and knowing that it's okay and to to go from any level of that and there's a moment where you get your power back and you get to be okay
1: yeah it's um You know, look, we all experience these types of things in some form or another. <laughs> like, thank God we all don't experience something this dramatic or this tragic, you know. But we all have we all have these moments where, you know, things affect us as children or, you know, we, we deal with traumatic situations differently. And, 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 you know, honestly, in the last, like, several years, we've all, like, the entire planet went through a mass trauma with COVID and being, you know, you think about... And i think really covid was one of those things that got me thinking a lot about my situation because as i when we started this conversation I, i was talking about how it was so unique that i had the opportunity to you know go to school and 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 have a safe place away from the home where i could talk to a detective you know where i could where i could you know, gather evidence and, and share that. And that, um, you know, that's so unique because it's, you know, it's very rare. And, you know, as someone who talks, you know, who, you know, I do another podcast with Tara Newell from, you know, Dirty John. And, you know, we talk to survivors called Survivor Squad, shameless plug, but talk to other survivors of true crime but you know when you think about like crime and and domestic violence issues i mean we're talking about crimes that are 98 percent of the time perpetrated on women right and you think about my mother's case missing persons cases and and unfortunately these there's so many of them that go unsolved every year here in the united states and and definitely around the world uh for sure of course um and, and you know they're they're most you know most of the time they go unsolved or the person is just never found or they are found and they're found in the trunk of a car and 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 because no one took action or because you know or or and not because you know people didn't want to take action because action was not taken or or signs were not recognized and i think that having these conversations uh, uh, recognizing patterns of abuse recognizing these types of things and, and being vocal about them um can help other people having these conversations raise awareness now whether you know again not everybody's case is that extreme not everybody's upbringing is that extreme but there's there's definitely certain things to be gleaned that also can be very eye-opening for people who do suffer different forms of childhood trauma right and what that looks like for them and how they can begin to um, you know rebuild their lives or rebuild their relationships with others you know
0: you know what was the thing that you said in the beginning when your mom was like that? That moment where you uh, grab something by the horn. Or yeah,
1: grab the grab the brass ring. Yeah, the carousel I, horse. You grab the brass ring. You grab the brass ring and you win the prize. I mean, that's what I understand of it.
0: I mean, it's it's if for anyone who's going to have anything to take away today, I find for me that's being so powerful. If like, really, if it could you imagine like. Of anything that someone could be raising you with, that being a core awareness of a takeaway, like do not miss moments in your life, like be the, pa- like she created the most powerful man in you. Like a mom is complete when she's done her job and she was actually complete even at 11 with you because she taught you something that you've had your entire life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting. Thing, you know, I, I, like I said, I traveled around the world with the film and I also got to reconnect with many people from my childhood and a friend of mine had become a, uh, she became a, a childhood psychologist and worked with, uh, you know, um, foster kids uh, you know, abused kids, uh, adopted kids, things of that nature. And she'd seen the film and she said, I want to talk to you about it. Come to my office. I want to, I want to share with you some of the things that I talked to. And, and that I, you know, I go to these different seminars and, and, and listen to these very famous child psychologists. And I think that it'll help you sort of understand like how you were prepared to deal with all of this without even knowing and things, things as simple as, you know, my mother not treating me like a child, like treating, (laughs) treating me like a child, but not babying me, not, um, even though she was very protective and 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 uh, you know and and was a loving mother i was raised with a lot of discipline um i was you know sort of raised i mean i i, I hate to use the word conservatively but I, I would say you know eat your food on your plate before you get seconds you know be nice to people give away you know i remember something that was an uh, you know every year before Santa Claus would come I would have to give away half my toys to toys for tots and not just the half that I didn't like but just some that I also were like my favorites because my mother taught me that you are a child you are very fortunate and you should share with others and so just the basic humanity of that but also the allowing me to to fall and scrape my leg and and you know and you know or 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 fail and learn from failure You know uh, i i wasn't coddled as a child and and that ultimately is what you know many many psychologists have told me was the ultimate reason why i was able to to sort of you know hit the ground and bounce up so high and have a still a, a sense of worth and a sense of um of my bearings and be able to move forward
0: I think that's so powerful. And I have actually used that in, in parenting, but I, I have to touch on the story of like giving away half your toys. I came home one day and all my kids' toys were in the side of the house. They'd just taken all of their toys and piled it to the side of the house. I said, what are you guys doing? They said, we're donating everything. I said, why? They said, isn't that how we get new things? <laughs> <laughs> so my kids had a little different perspective of like giving away all their toys. They were like, that's how we get new things. So who else would like to have an opportunity to share but with that's
1: sort of, But there but that's sort of but that's sort of true in in a lot of ways because you have to make you know, just in the sort of metaphorical sense or you know, you definitely have to, to make room for new things in your life by getting rid of old baggage. I mean, that's sort of very perceptive of them as children too. I mean, I, I understand there was a little bit of nefarious, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a, you know, some nefarious intent there to say they wanted new stuff, but they also recognizing that to bring in new things, you have to get rid of the old. I mean, that's in, in a broader sense of
0: absolutely I mean
1: developing as a human being that's a great sort of philosophy to have even though you're trying to maybe manipulate your mom into buying you new toys I
0: also went upstairs and Kara my daughter had drawn all over the walls with a sharpie and I was like oh my and she she was three I was like oh my goodness and my son goes why are you mad it's Kara's art and so you know these and now she's an incredible artist so I don't know why I was mad. It's a sharpie on the wall, but it's Kara's art. <laughs> so funny. Go ahead, Tracy. Oh, thank you so much for sharing.
2: <clears throat> Loved your story. I want to ask you, i my mom is a rager and a and a narcissist, and I've never gone and gotten help like for PTSD or those things that they do for EMDR or whatever. So I'm wondering if there's any modalities that you have used that really helped you because to this day, I am jumpy and a people pleaser and I I will answer what I think is the right answer or the expected answer and then I will have this horrible resentment at, at myself for doing something I didn't want to do and I realize I'm behaving like I'm five and I have to, you know, do what I need to do to keep the peace so the bomb doesn't go off, you know, with my mother yeah. and, and recognize it. But I have not gotten any real power over that sort of autopilot um, inability to speak up for myself.
1: Yeah. I mean, look. That's the you know. First of all, I'm sorry you went through that, and you know, it is it is tough. And you know, a lot of people when I when I do coaching or I, or I just I'm talking to individuals or talking on my podcast about these things is there is a lot of this. Um, there is, you know, these individuals do a lot do a lot of damage to us that we don't really ever quite understand until we're like in another situation of like, why am I in this situation where I feel like every, I'm always walking on eggshells and this is supposed to be my partner that I'm in love with, but I always feel they make me feel this way. And, you know, part of it is, you know, if you don't recommend that, recognize those patterns, you, and, 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 you know, I say this as if this is something easy, this is not easy to do. And, And many people live their lives and just constantly just keep keep repeating this cycle and and especially when with narcissism and narcissistic abuse it's one of those things when you really start to recognize the patterns and i was talking to a psychologist who's very well known for this her name is uh, uh, dr jamie zuckerman she goes by dr z psychologist on instagram she talks about this a lot but she says you know once you recognize these patterns and, and I had the same conversation with Dr. Romani, if you guys are familiar with her, she does amazing work in the field of narcissism as well. Narcissistic abuse, you, you know, it's, they, they both say it's once you recognize these patterns in people, it's like seeing a car accident, like you can't unsee it because then you see it in in all people and it's really honoring yourself. And, and so for modalities for myself, it, it, it took, It took a long time for me to, to, I think my, my, my sort of coming to Jesus, if you will, with the the narcissism of my father and his abuse was trying to understand like, to what end, like, what is the purpose of this? Like, like, I know this is wrong. And I know that because of that behavior that I grew up with, I have these you know tendencies to gravitate towards certain people that treat me this way or put myself in certain situations that that make me feel this way so it's it's understanding recognizing the patterns but for me it was it was like to what end was this for what what gain was this for and I think the biggest thing that you and and for me my whole journey was based on one of compassion not only compassion with myself and, and what I was going through and understanding that like I've been through a lot and I need to and I need to figure this out, but also compassion for my father and understanding that this that you know I at a very early age, like when I was a teenager, said I was gonna forgive my father. It was not an easy thing to do. But and I've told this story many times to people because people will say, Well, how could you forgive someone? For doing something so horrific, and I said, "You've got it all wrong. It's not about him. It's about me. It's about me saying there's no power. Or, this doesn't have any power over um, over me." So I think the first modality, if you will, is that forgiveness, that accepting of that this is a person who injured you, that this is a, that that their actions contribute to a lot of things in your life, but that those things don't have any more power over you. And you're not going to allow them to do that. That doesn't mean like forgiveness is not acceptance or saying that what they did was justified or anything or letting them off the hook. It's saying to yourself, this is not going to have any more power over me. And then you can begin to recognize these patterns and be able to see them in your own life. Like, do I always appease? Do I do this? And it's, it's also not of, it's also not like you want to just Turn around and be like, okay, now I'm going to be an asshole to everybody. <laughs> like, now I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to put up with any shit. I mean, that, doesn't, that doesn't work either. You know, you can't be that person, right? So you've got to find this, this, you know, everything in life is about nuance, right? Or, or subtlety. Like you have to like, you know, you have to find a way where you can draw these really healthy boundaries with people because drawing boundaries is a major, is a, is, is a huge step to being able to heal yourself. If it, because you're finally for once putting yourself first in these situations. When you start to draw healthy boundaries, not boundaries where you shut off the world, not boundaries like, you know, healthy boundaries, saying, I don't accept this behavior, I'm not gonna allow this behavior in my life. When you start to draw those healthy boundaries, that's when you really start to take your power back. So it starts with that forgiveness, then it's the recognizing of the, of the behavior after you've, after you said, this isn't going to have any power over me, you're recognizing these behaviors and then you're drawing boundaries based upon those behaviors. And you, you also draw boundaries within yourself. Like you make a deal with yourself saying, I'm not going to, you're not going to get you're not going to get away with this, Collier. You're, you're not going to allow this. Like I'm drawing a I'm drawing a personal boundary with you. You're not going to do, you're not going to go back to that person. You're not going to pick up that phone and text that person. You're not going to, because that person isn't healthy for you and you know it. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of grown-up. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's tough stuff. It's not like, you know, I'm sitting here saying it like it's not it's very difficult to do. And and unfortunately, the majority of people don't do that you know, they just sort of live lives in, in and in sort of, you know, live in quiet suffering, if you will.
0: I want to touch on that. I, I love what you shared, you. love the um, response of it. And I feel like it's almost when we have the daily practices that we don't think what they're, we don't really know where they're leading to, like the yoga and the meditation and the taking care of ourselves. Slowly but surely we're becoming that person who doesn't have to walk around being like, "Oh, you can't do that." We just know we. It makes us like you know. One day you're riding a bike. You couldn't ride it the day before, but one day you're like, "Oh my God, I know how to ride a bike." No yeah. one's like, "Oh, just keep pedaling." You you like already know to do that because you've been practicing. So the daily habits and the things that we're doing every day, being on here, even even every little bit that we take from in here becomes something that's a part of my, our memory that mm-hmm. then it's a tool to use the next day. Each yeah. of, all of this is building on itself and it's so beautiful. Then what like I used to sit at dinner and make up who I wanted to see on a date. And then I would actually get to know the person and go, what, you know, like you're not even who I at all thought. And so now like it, it all of this work that we do I have the clarity of going, oh, my God, I'm not making up anything. I get to sit across and have a good time. Yes, Jet, I see your hand is up. Or did you do that by accident? Did you mean to? Yes. Go for it. So
3: um, my question, I'm curious about, um, did you, and part of your process, was it about and, and the forgiveness process of understanding who he was as a child or what he the background that he came up with, some of that aspect of how he became who he was. And and um, because of his parents weren't willing to take you, you're going, OK, You know, I mean, and, and wanting you to lie, even though you were being honest and just, you know, there there's something that comes from a root. Right. And what was that root? from his childhood did you is that what was that part of your process
1: that's a good question so a couple of things i just want to clarify so my grandmother who's my father's mother she was my last surviving uh um, grandparent so all the rest were dead so my, there was no um parent my grandparents weren't able to take me in or anything like that so i wanted to clarify that um but uh it was um it's it, it It was one of those things when I was making the film, because I sort of, I kind of grew up thinking, okay, there's gotta be a reason for this. Like, there's gotta be, there has to be something that happened to him. You know, I knew my father had gone to seminary school, so I thought, okay, you know, typical Catholic situation, okay, he was molested or something like that. Some sort of abuse happened. and. What I ended up finding out, because my my grandfather was an alcoholic too. And so I thought, okay, there must have been domestic abuse and this and that. And, you know, uh, um, know, obviously alcoholism is is an issue uh, in many families and destroys many families. But I came to find out that my grandfather was a happy drunk. He was never really around. He was at the bar drinking and he was a fireman. And that was kind of the thing back in the days. But he wasn't abusive. And my father was just a kid who just got, who was, just a monster as a kid, you know, I, I, and I I thought that there would be this, this massive backstory of like, okay, he, something happened to him to make him this way. And I remember after the, after the scene with my father and confronting him in prison and, and having this whole moment. And like I said, I had had a relationship for 26 years before that. I just realized that some people are just born evil like that's just how they are that it's just their makeup you can't pin it on one thing you can't be like this happened to them because now they're this way some people are like that or some people are just never told no by life and live with this massive sense of narcissistic entitlement that the world revolves around them and that they can do no wrong and and it doesn't even occur to them that they're wrong they just you know they just And we all know people that are like this and they're destructive and abusive. And they just, it's like a tornado that just goes through, that just rips through towns and families and communities, you know? And unfortunately there was nothing that I could, that I could really pinpoint. The the, the real sadness to me was, you know, my father was a really good doctor and he really, he really connected with his patients. But I even discovered that that is part of a narcissistic, you know personality disorders that they they put themselves in these positions so they can get the love and attention that they seek and things of that nature so i realized that his um, that everything i don't know if i would say everything is a con because it's not a con I mean, everything is designed to to feed him and his, and who he is so every situation in life, and 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 if you're on the if you're on the right end of that, where you know you are able to um to benefit from that, then it's great. If you are on the wrong side of that, then watch out. And that's that was unfortunately who my father is. Does that make any sense?
0: You know, I love that question. I love that answer because I remember thinking, like I've asked this question around people who have been narcissists in my life and I'm like I'm just trying to figure it out I'm just trying I keep talking about it because I'm trying to figure it out and then one day I realized like I don't know if there's anything to figure out like I just kept like beating a dead horse I was trying to figure it out and one day I was like I am really wasting a lot of time precious precious quality time and by like trying to figure it out and and I don't think we can like, it's almost the, like, if there was a, you know, fil- being a filmmaker and there's a movie, there's always the villain. Your dad had to be the villain and ha- chose to be a villain in this lifetime. Yeah. And, and if this, if the lifetime we have, we get to choose our roles, this is his role in the in what he chose to play.
3: Yeah. I think it was amazing, too, that you got to have a voice immediately at 11 for that gentleman to listen to you.
1: You yeah it's incredible all about
3: having a voice and your dad most rageaholics don't feel like they've had a voice and it gets to a place where it's not safe and there's that it's you know they they haven't been heard and they need to be heard and they have this aggressiveness that just gets to be so you know out of whack and you're like yeah calm down just, there's no judgment there's no shame here we're just listening you know
2: yeah.
3: and, Um, but Anyway, I it's it, it's messed up. It's really goes so deep. It it starts so young, and those perceptions. And you know, when you're not, you know, how parents show up is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it I, I mean, really, really pop out as something evil. But it's about how parents are aware that these are at challenging areas, and how do we help them navigate through that so it's not so highly sensitive. And so, because you probably were a really highly sensitive young, young a child as well. And your mom taught you how to manage that. Right. And, and it can be really off the, off the charts, but that's just fascinating because I find the complexities of, of personalities are um, and how we can birth new things and, you know, how you chose to, how you had the wisdom to do that, that was imparted to you somewhere from some of your, you know, your perceptions of how either your mom was on the positive side and even your your grandparents or whoever it was, you had that input enough place that was that you were able to learn really good
0: tools, you know <laughs>
1: uh, I was very fortunate that's for sure.
0: yeah Yeah. I think you we chose come well into the world with that. like we come into the world with who we really are and and, and that's what the burning desire is It's always trying to come through us. Joseph angard you've been very quiet today and I've never heard you quiet we we've got to hear from Joe um very powerful
1: thank you
4: um and the power of your forgiveness is astounding but but obvious I mean it's just so necessary for you to continue on otherwise you would carry that trauma with you for the rest of your life you know it's some congratulate you for freeing yourself like that thank you your honesty is you know I mean that's a real honesty there's no perception here that you know that you saw life from the wrong side I mean that's undeniable what you have experienced you know I think uh, all of us have suffered a trauma from our parents you know and in, in, because it's just natural to see who you are yeah experience that and go through it um and have had the you know there's a fortunate side to this too of course that this has formed who you are as a person right now mm-hmm. and has given you a lot of power to be this person you know unfortunately the circumstances were horrendous but you know everybody has that suffers something when they grow up from perceived or real you know i say that you know there's no such thing as a good parent or a bad parent whatever it is you have to get over it and get to yourself and be as close to who you are or realize that that's what life is about finding out who you are and telling your story. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, you're, you're a very, very um, accomplished gentleman. Very, very good. It's a pleasure oh. to meet you. And uh, thank you, Louisa, as always, for bringing us these kinds of people. It's yes. a beautiful every second Tuesday of the month that I know I'm going to get a jolt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You know. I feel like I'm so blessed because part of my life has been being surrounded by really truly beautiful people, and every time I, I like look around, I'm like, oh my god, everyone, everyone is so remarkable. I could get every one of us on every other Tuesday and hear our story because it it's really what what Collier is saying is everybody has their story and how we tell our story and who we really are, and we get become so relatable. And it, I love what you said, like true trauma or perceived trauma, we all have experienced something. And I would be the child who was like standing behind the salon chair, telling everybody the story about my poor traumatic life and how my parents totally screwed up raising me. And if only they had done it right, I would be fantastic. And one day somebody was like, wow, you keep making your parents wrong to be right. And so you don't have to be responsible about your actions. I was like, what? (laughs) And and the reality is is that I I love what you've created Collier and I love how you shared what you heard him say Joe because and all, everyone is walking away with insight today and and a, a, a little bit more of a powerful space to tap into and that's what I love about Tuesdays like we get these nuggets what Collier's mom gave him we now have two right? Like that is going to play in my head when there's a moment in my life and your mom just impacted my life through you. Exactly. I love, that's what I love about sharing the stories is I had not heard that before. And your mom is now a part of like touching my life through you. And she raised you, but like all of the things you got to have are things that like her, who she is lives through all of the sharing you're doing
1: yeah it's very it's very cool <laughs> right yeah. it
0: really is and look at how many people like you, you, you're not even off yet and i'm getting texts of like wow right like how amazing is that and and i think that's what i love about human beings is like you you went from being the gentleman that, sitting next to me at Barnes and Noble. And we're like, how cool are we? We're signing books. And then I get to know you. I'm like, Whoa, you're not only just cool. You're super talented. Like I said, you know, my podcast exists because you went like this and it happened. (laughs) It's something that you magically do. And I have to say jet once reached out to me and was like, Oh my God, I love your podcast. Who did it? So jet, you get to meet the remarkable gentleman who did my podcast and and I think everybody has their talents, right? Like how how I can't twinkle my nose and 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 have fairy dust sparkled around the podcast, but you can, and you did a great job.
4: No, thank you. Also, Connor, you got a great smile.
1: Keep smiling. Oh, thank you.
0: He, he is quite handsome. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, You're thank welcome. you, thank you. I I I really just I cherish this time that I cherish. The fact that who you are and how open you are and how vulnerable you are, how relatable you are. And I'm really grateful that you do what you do every day because you change lives every day. And I'm super grateful that everybody else shows up and and is part of this because it just keeps the energy alive for me to continue playing. (laughs) I can't play in here by myself.
1: (laughs) it's very cool well thank you all for, for 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 making me a part of your day like i said you guys can um you guys can find me uh at all things call here every, every everywhere call your landry.com forward slash links you can find me on instagram TikTok. i have a pretty large following there and then uh, on my youtube channel and my uh, my show used to be called moving past murder Then it became moving past trauma and now it's just simply called the call your landry show i also host another podcast called the survivor squad with tara newell and um yeah that's me
0: Wendy we can have tara on here too she's, I, sure. she's so her. delightful i love her
1: She is delightful you guys would love her
0: yep so we get to have a treat next i can't wait to connect with her
1: absolutely well thank you all so much and thank you louisa for having me
0: thank you thank you i love you all have the most beautiful night <laughs>